Good morning, church. I hope you had a great Christmas. This morning in our sermon, we'll be talking a little bit about Jesus' birth story and what it means to us and the hope that we can find inside of Him. You know, hope is one of the things that's maybe been a little bit in short supply this year. But I think in our lesson today, you'll find a great deal of hope because He is faithful. This morning as we sing, let's lift up our hearts to God as we take the Lord's Supper. Let's focus on His death, His burial, and His resurrection and how good He has been to us to offer salvation to us in all these things. This morning as we worship, let's lift up our hearts and praise Him. Several years ago, Kelly and I had the opportunity to go to Yellowstone National Park. It was one of the best vacations we've ever had. While we were there, uh, we stayed in a hotel in Driggs, Idaho. I don't know why I bought a hotel out that far away from Yellowstone. My advice is to not buy a hotel that far away from the place you're going to go see, especially when you're driving all day. One night, <clears throat> we had spent all day in Yellowstone, looking at the the, uh, the geysers and looking for animals and things, we had had a fantastic time. But the night had slipped up on us, and now it was twilight, and it finally became dark pretty quickly on our way back to our hotel in Driggs, Idaho. And uh, we found this little pull-off spot in the in the road, and and it was beautiful. There are no lights. Uh, in that part of, uh, of Idaho or Montana, there's not any big cities right there. So you don't have all the light noise. You have even in our tiny Proctorville. And so you can see billions and billions of stars, more stars than I've ever seen in my entire life. So we pulled off on this, um, on this little pull-off area, gravel area along the side of the road in this cornfield. Uh, and there are, there are fields, I mean, just for miles, as far as you can see, uh, just fields. That's that's all there are uh, in that part of the country, uh, at least right there where we were. And so we looked up and there were saw all these stars. Uh, and it was beautiful, and it crossed my mind. You know, like this must have been what Abraham saw 
the night God told him to look up and see all the stars in the sky. Your children are going to be that numerous. And Abraham must have been thinking, wow, that's, that's truly incredible. As, I, as we were standing there, I, I got a, a sense of how small uh, and insignificant I really am in the vast scheme of God's incredible creation. I mean, it literally took, takes your breath away. As we were standing there, awestruck by these, this amazing scene of stars, I hear rustling in the cornfields behind us, uh, and I hear a wolf howl. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I better pay attention to that because he's, he seems fairly close, you know, not, not right here at our car, but close enough that I want to pay attention to it. And then another was sounded off over here, and then another answered over there. And by the time a few minutes had passed, there, were, there was a pack um, that was in fairly close proximity to us. I don't think we were in any danger looking back on it. That night I thought we were. But as I was standing there looking at the stars, just completely awestruck, I thought, I also need to be very aware of what's going on over here. I need to pay attention to what's going on over here. I need to watch what's going on over there. As we think about looking up at the stars, it reminds me of a story in Scripture that most of our world is thinking about today and this week. Uh, in Matthew chapter 2, some wise men have found Jesus thanks to uh, a star that they followed. Let's read it. It's Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, that's kind of interesting, right? Most of us have heard this story several times. We're really familiar with it. But if you ever stop to think about where these wise men came from, it says from the east. But how did they hear about Jesus? How do they know to follow this star? There's no Old Testament prophecy that I'm aware of that talks about a star as being significant uh, as far as being able to follow the star and finding where the Messiah will be born. The Old Testament scriptures tell us that he's going to be born in Bethlehem and the Jewish people of Matthew's day and Jesus' day were familiar with that prophecy. You find that here uh, when, when Herod wants to know where this newfound king will be born. He goes to his, to his wise men. He says, well, where is it? And I say, don't you know the prophecies? Well, of course not, Herod. You don't know the prophecies because you're not a good Jew. You're kind of a, a half-Jew. Um, so you're not familiar with these prophecies, but he's going to be born in Bethlehem. These people didn't apparently know that prophecy from Micah about, being him, about, about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And so how do they know about this star? Well, it's kind of been an interesting thing because it seems to me that these men are coming from Babylon, maybe Persia. And the word wise men here in Greek is literally magi. Now, stop and think with me for a second how they might have known about this prophecy that we're not told about in the Old Testament. How did they come across this knowledge? They're not Jewish. They don't have access to the prophecies, even if the prophecies had spoken about this star. So how did they, how did they know? Well, it seems to me, likely at least, that 
Daniel told them about this. If you flip back over in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, you'll find Daniel being put in authority. He is the chief magician, the chief wise man, the chief magi. And so he's got a whole order of these magi under his authority. And so it, it seems possible to me that at some point in one of their council meetings, Daniel would have sat them down and said, listen guys, there's coming a time that you're going to want to pay attention to. We look up at the stars to figure out things, right? You're astrologers. Well, there's coming a time when you're going to want to watch for a certain star. And when you see that star, you need to start making your way to it. You need to start following it because there's something incredibly significant happening. So you need to watch and wait. You need to wait and watch. When you see that star, you start moving. Now, these, these guys go to where you might expect a king to be born. They go to the capital city. They don't go to Bethlehem because they're not aware of the prophecy in Micah of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. So they go to the only logical place that you would go to find the newborn king. You go to the capital city. They go to Jerusalem. And there they find uh, King Herod. And they say, well, we hear that there's a new king in town. And Herod is a sly fox, is how Jesus portrays him. Uh, and so this guy is, uh, is the worst kind of sneaky. And so he says, really, there's a new king in town. Okay, great. Uh, I would love to worship him too, just like you guys are, are going to. And so I want you to go find him in Bethlehem, and you come back and you tell me where he is. Now, he has ulterior motives there. We all know that. We can find that in Scripture. He did not want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. Uh, Herod's viewpoint was that he eradicates all uh, rivals to his throne, and, and this new newborn king that these wise men from the east are looking for uh, is certainly a rival for him. And so what I want you to look at, though, is that these wise men were waiting and watching. Daniel prophesies... 600 years or so before Jesus is born, uh, 550 years before Jesus is born. And so there's, if I'm right about this, a sect of wise men who are not Jewish, who are Babylonian and Persian, and they are watching the night sky looking for this star. And when it, when it comes, when they see it, they start making their way toward it. They watched and they waited. Well, why would they do that? Well, because Daniel had convinced them that God was going to be faithful, that he was going to keep his promise. Now, that's really interesting because in Luke chapter 2, we find another man who is waiting and watching. Turn to Luke chapter 2. You'll find this elderly priest. His name is Simeon. He's been a priest his entire adult life. Um, by this point, he is an older man. God has promised this man, this priest, Simeon, that he will not die until he sees the Lord's Christ, until he sees the awaited Messiah come. And so when Mary and Joseph bring the, the baby Jesus into the temple, this is what Simeon does. In fact, the Spirit drives Simeon into the temple. Verse 27 and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Can you picture that for a minute? 
you have a newborn baby. Maybe he's a child, maybe he's a toddler uh, at this point. But Mary and Joseph are aware, obviously, of his uh, conception, that this is a miraculous thing. Um, And I don't think that that's gotten old, even if he is a toddler at this point. That's still at the forefront of their minds. And so all of a sudden, this elderly priest rushes up to them. He grabs Jesus out of Mary's arms, and he says these words, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon said, you're making good on your promise now, Lord. I see it. I've seen the Lord's Christ. I didn't think I was going to get to see it, but I've been waiting and watching it. And finally, he's here. You came, you came through on your promise. You, you were faithful. That's kind of God's M.O. in Scripture. He will always come through with his promises. He will always make good on those promises. In Mark chapter 1, you find Israel. You find an Israel that's been waiting for a Messiah. They are exhausted with the current leadership in Israel's hypocrisy. When you look to the scribes and the Pharisees for religious advice, it always comes away hollow because they say one thing but do another. Uh, And so Israel at that point in history is exhausted with their hypocrisy. And they are waiting, longing for the awaited Messiah. They've been waiting on him for thousands of years at this point. Since literally the fall in Genesis 3.18, God promises a, a Savior. Someone who can extricate mankind from the mess that we've got ourselves in with sin. So since that day, I mean since literally Adam and Eve, God's people have been waiting for this Messiah. And God has gotten very specific uh, throughout the Old Testament. And here Jesus is coming uh, to to portray all of that. And in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 uh, and 15, you find Jesus looking at the Pharisees and the scribes, saying that he's going to take back his kingdom. They've absconded with the throne. Uh, We've been talking about uh, our series in Mark over the last several weeks, and so you're familiar with this idea that the uh, scribes and the Pharisees have been making their own rules. They've put the crown on their own heads, and they they rule. But now in the first century, Jesus says, uh, the time in verse 15 is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What they needed to repent in of uh, is, is putting the crown on their own heads, making their own rules. And they needed to repent of that and submit to him so that he can save them. The time that, that God has been prophesying for so long is finally here. The king is back on his throne and he's ready to rule. Now, that was a promise that he made centuries before at this point. But he's making good on it now. Israel had waited and they had watched. Now they hadn't always watched well, but they had been waiting and watching. At least a section, a remnant of them have been waiting and watching since since Adam and Eve. The apostles uh, had also been waiting and watching. Uh, Flip over to Mark chapter 8. In Mark, uh, Jesus foretells his death repeatedly. Um, He's going to do that in all four of the Gospels. 
Uh, we're studying Mark, and so I wanted to remind you of this fact. The first eight chapters of Mark is all about who is Jesus and what are you going to do with him. You look at his miracles, you look at his teaching, and you have to come to, a, to an understanding. Who is he? You can't just sit on the fence. He's either God and you submit to him, or he's not and you lead whatever kind of life you want to lead. You can't sit on the fence. There's no middle ground with Jesus. That's Matthew or Mark 1 through 8. Mark 9 through 16, the second half of Mark, is all about who is he? What did he come to do? Uh, well, he, he's the Messiah, but Messiah in their minds didn't mean a suffering Savior, even though that's what you find in sections of the Old Testament, especially Isaiah 53 is very clear, right? But to them, Messiah was a conquering king, someone who came, to, came into Jerusalem riding on a white horse. He's going to kick out the Romans. Jesus says, that's, that's not what I came to do. My, my job is so much bigger, so much grander than that. I came to kick sin out of your life. So he's going to foretell his death multiple times in Mark. And in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 31, he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again so after Jesus had died there's a section among his disciples that are waiting and watching specifically Mary Magdalene we are told goes to the tomb uh, on that Sunday morning when he had resurrected and she finds the, the stone rolled away he's not there she gets to talk interact with the angels they tell her that he's been resurrected. She runs and finds Peter and John. They run back to the tomb, and they're looking for him, waiting and watching, still uh, almost unbelieving. This has blown their minds. They, they don't understand. Remember, they were still looking for the conquering king. That's not what he came to do. He came to suffer and die because of our sin. And so there's a section of the disciples not all of them certainly, but a, a section and maybe parts of all of them that are waiting and, and watching after his death, watching for this, this resurrection that he promised. Why were they doing that? Well, because God makes good on his promises every time. Every single time he makes good on his promises. We've been waiting for him for 2,000 years now to come back and receive us so that where he is, there we can be also. That's what he promises us in John 14. We've been waiting on that for a little over 2,000 years now. And in our line of thinking, I'm afraid, sometimes when things don't happen in our timelines, we begin to give up and maybe get over it and move on. Um, think about uh, moving up in your job. If you haven't had an opportunity for a raise, you haven't... Uh, had greater responsibilities in your job, what might you begin to do after so, so many years? You might, you might begin to, to give up, move on uh, to a different job. Um, lately, I've been waiting for a package in the mail. <laughs> I think that's probably the case with a lot of us. Um, but it, it's been ordered for over a month now, and I'm about to just give up and reorder the package from somewhere else. I'm moving on because it hasn't happened in a time that I think is, is uh, right. I don't want us to fall into that same trap where Jesus is concerned because He is coming back. He is faithful to His promises. 
every single one of them, every single one of them, He has always fulfilled those promises. And so, as we think through what we should be doing right now, in 2020, what should we be doing while we wait on Him to fulfill His promises to us? We should watch. Remember, we started this story off with that, the story about uh, Kelly and I in Yellowstone, and we're looking up the stars, but there's wolves off in the cornfield somewhere. What was that? What, what were we doing? <laughs> Specifically me. Kelly wasn't so worried about it, but I was, I was watching for those wolves. They were always in the back of my mind, even though I was awestruck by the grandeur of the stars. I was also very aware that there was a predator nearby. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter reminds us that Satan is, is our predator. He's the one who wants to kill and steal and destroy. He's the one who's walking around, looking for someone to devour like a hungry lion. We need to be aware of all the traps that he's laid for us. We need to be keenly aware of all the, the, the things that he has um, that can trap us up, that can trip us up. But we also need to be aware of the hope that God has instilled within us because his promises are going to come true. All we have to do is wait and watch. We wait and watch. We stay faithful as we wait on him to make good on his promises because we know that that's what's going to happen. He fulfills his promise. He is faithful. He will do what he said he's going to do. All we have to do is wait and watch. And so that's, that's my challenge for you for the rest of this year, for maybe next year. Wait and watch. It feels like we've done an awful lot of waiting this year, doesn't it? We've waited on the vaccine. We've waited on uh, the quarantine be, to be over. We've waited on being able to come back to services. We've waited, waited, waited. I'm afraid that in the midst of our waiting, we've forgotten to watch. There's a predator out there who wants only to hurt us. Make sure that you're watching out for the obstacles that he throws in your path, but also make sure that you're watching for opportunities to help, opportunities to serve, opportunities to evangelize. Watch for those things. There's a negative component to watching. There's also a positive component to watching things that we should be doing, things that we shouldn't be doing. All that's caught up in watching. So wait and watch. I care not today what the
In 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Peter includes in just those six or seven verses there a world of things to be happy about. As we begin to consider the Lord's Supper that we're about ready to partake, of, of which we're about ready to partake, we often refer to this as a solemn feast. 
and we sing songs that have that phrase um, in them. However, it occurred to me that when Jesus instituted it, he hadn't died yet. And when he says, as oft as you do this, remember me, more than likely he was talking about his death, his burial, his resurrection, his suffering. But it could be that he was talking about remember me and what I stand for and what I provide for you as an outcome of my pain, my suffering, my death, and my resurrection. The death of someone who has tremendously suffered um, prior to their passing is sometimes viewed in two ways. There is sorrow for the passing of life, but there's also a relief and a thankfulness that the suffering has ended. So death can be viewed in two different ways. With Christ, we feel sorrow that he had to die and that our sins put him there. However, there's more than just the relief of his being dead. There is all that is mentioned above as we, as we talked and read about in 1 Peter 1. So while we solemnly focus on his sacrifice and reflect on his suffering, let us also consider where we would be without that sacrifice and what all awaits us if we are faithful unto death. Let's bow as we pray for the Lord's, uh, for the Lord's Supper, for the bread in particular. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to partake of this feast that has been prepared for us so that we can reflect back on all that Jesus was and all he means to us and all that his sacrifice has opened to us in the way of the glory that we will realize if we are found faithful in him when he comes again. We ask that you bless this bread as we partake in his name. Amen. Let us pray for the fruit of the vine. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this cup that represents the precious blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for our sins and on our behalf. We realize, Father, that our sins placed him there, that he was willing to not only undergo the physical pain and suffering of all that he went through prior to and during his time on the cross. But he also bore the sins of all mankind. We don't know what that means. We don't know the weight of that. 
and how heavy that burden must have been as he contemplated what he was about to undergo in the garden. But we thank him for that. We thank you for the love that you expressed in giving him for us. We ask that you bless this cup as we partake. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper. We often point to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 um, as evidence that we have another obligation um, to uh, support the work in the local community. It says there, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Support for the work here uh, is important. Um, so much is done to spread the word, to edify the saints, um, and to support those who cannot support themselves. I am sure that our contributions have fallen off uh, lately due to our inability to regularly meet as a full congregation. However, that obligation is still there, whether we meet in person or whether we meet virtually. And I'm not sure that Paul was necessarily prescribing the first day of the week to make that happen. We say that it is one of our acts of worship, and, and I would not argue with someone uh, for holding that. But he may have just been indicating that that would be a convenient time for us to do this, for them to do this when they came together. There's no reason to lay by in store if you're not going to make use of it at some point. So send in your contribution, bring it by the building, uh, whatever. Uh, the work still needs to continue, and that is done through our offerings. At this time, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our blessings in this life. We thank you that we are able to contribute a portion of, of our prosperity that we might help the work of the church here continue and prosper as a, as a congregation and as a, a, an advocate for you in this community. In your son's name we pray. Amen. To God be the glory, great things be at the Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Good morning, everyone. Certainly hope that everyone has had a good week, and we continue to pray for those who uh, who are sick and and uh, whatever their situation may be in at this time. We know it's been a uh, a tough year, but uh, good to be here this morning and and to have a lesson on hope and uh, and we know that we all have our hope in in Jesus Christ. This morning we want to go over a few things. Uh, first of all, don't forget that David will be here on Saturday mornings from 12 to 2 o'clock. He will be handing out communion or taking up a contribution or whatever it may be. And like I said this past week, if, if you have a need to talk to the elders, uh, give us a call. We'll meet you. Whatever, whatever we need to do, we'll be more than glad to do that. Also, continue to remember those who were on our prayer list in our own journal. If you would, pick that up and, and, and read that, and uh, let's continue to pray uh, for these people. <clears throat> we may not be meeting at the building, but uh, we still are meeting, and uh, some of us are talking as much as we can. Call someone, do what you can do. And I just want to remind you, just because we're not able to, to meet here at the building, it, it, it doesn't mean that, uh, we're, that we don't have to be Christians the next three weeks or ever how long we're off. We still, we still need to do good things. We still need to do what we can do to help others, make phone calls. Don't forget about your Bible. We still need to read our Bibles. We can't, we're not taking a break from God. We're just taking a break from meeting at the building here and worshiping together. Also on our prayer list, we have uh, Joe Berkey. He has tested positive for COVID. We want to pray for him. Katie Berkey also has pneumonia. They are both at home. So uh, if you have a chance, send them a card. Clinton Galloway upcoming appointment with cardiologist uh, Clinton has been having some tests run and will continue to do so and and we pray for Clinton and Carol <clears throat> Rob Nida Rusty's brother he will be having a scan he had surgery this past July for prostate cancer we need to pray that his results will uh, come out good and that's uh, Rob Nida also Randy Ash is undergoing chemotherapy treatments for prostate cancer. He's doing very well, but uh, and his prognosis is good, but we need to continue to pray for Randy. So we just want to wish everyone a happy holiday season, ask everyone to stay safe, continue to pray, read your Bible, and put God first in our lives. There's some things that we're restricted to, but there's others that we're not. So bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have had to gather here. And, and Father, around our TVs, our phones, or, or computers, whatever it may be, so that we can worship together, Father. We was able to uh, surround the table together to take communion and remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for that, Father. We continue to pray for our country. 
We pray, Father, for, uh, for the uh, new president-elect. Father, we pray that, uh, that you will be with him. And we pray, God, that, uh, that he will look to you for decisions and guidance. And we just pray for our country, Father, and the leadership. We're thankful for the way that you bless us. We pray, Father, for those uh, who have been sick and, and have gotten better. We're thankful for that, but we continue to pray for those. Uh, we pray for those who we've mentioned here this morning, Lord. We pray for Joe Berkey and, and Katie Berkey, and pray that you'll be with Clinton with his test, and, and uh, Rob Nida and, and Randy Ash and so many others, Father. We just pray that you'll continue to bless them and be with the doctors who are attending them. Father, we pray for uh, the new year coming up. We pray that uh, as Christians we will set goals, Father, to, uh, to serve you. We pray that we'll set goals to do better, to be better than one another, and help us to love each other. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You call me out upon the waters, the rain.